Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting live from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Yes, it is a Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. This is an exciting time of year because for a lot of farmers like us, we have crop that's in the ground. A lot of it's out of the ground now and just really looking forward to summertime. But the problem, Darren, is weeds. So I was out walking in some fields last night and I'm not happy with the weeds that are out there, especially around field borders. And so right away this morning, I told our guys in the farm, I realized that the crops just, you can barely see the crop there, but we got to get out and get the field borders all sprayed. That's where the majority of weed problems are. Well, I happened to be out at the edge of a field, could possibly been in one of my fields today, and uh, had had one of our Ag PhD TV show producers with me, and I said, look, we could probably do the weed of the week for about half the year right here at the edge of the field. Well, there's a spot where we didn't have good grass growth, and you know, this is one of those big deals. It was in an area that was flooded. There was uh, a lot of issues. It was underwater for a good portion of last year. And when you're flooded and your grass dies, what are you going to have come back in those areas if you don't reseed it? Well, we didn't reseed it. So we have, we've got some grass coming and eventually it'll probably take back over. But in the meantime, we've got a ton of different weeds. I would say there's at least a dozen species that I saw quickly that I could identify, maybe 20. And I thought, oh my goodness. But you know, you look out in, in various fields too. We've Got a variety of different pre-emerge treatments across the farm. And yeah, we're going to need to come early with the post on some of these fields and especially on some of the borders. You know, this is one of those things too, where we used to back before Roundup Ready Crops and all this, a lot of times we'd come around and spray those field borders once before everything else, because that's where the weeds were coming. Okay. So this is a tip that I picked up from some really good farmers almost 30 years ago. So I was a young agronomist, and what they did is they would go out with a double rate of the pre-emerge herbicide around all field borders and around all waterways. And I'm like, guys, number one, that's not labeled, so I can't ever recommend that as an agronomist. I understand what you guys are doing, but also I understand you're taking a little more risk when you're going a double rate of the pre, possibly hurting the crop. I said, how about instead running a normal rate and then let's just go spray those field borders really early, even if we have to spray them twice post-emerge, who cares? So we started doing that about that time on our own farm. And, you know, I realize you go, man, I don't need another job, but I'm serious. Go look in your fields right now. I'll bet you inside the field, it's clean. Whereas along around all the field borders, it's not. And you don't even need to spray a full boom width, but just spray those field borders. The other nice thing for us is we've got some enlist soybeans. Well, I can spray some 2,4-D in the ditch then, and, and I've got no problem. So I can spray a little bit in the ditch. I can spray in my field. I can get two things done at the same time. Same thing if I w- was to have 
and extend beans, well, then I could spray just straight dicamba around the field borders and and in the ditch a little bit there. So the other thing we used to do when we just got just had Roundup crops is we would spray Roundup. Now, obviously, you don't want to get that in your ditch, but we would spray Roundup on the field borders. So my whole point here is... When you stop and think about how many acres it is on your entire farm, if you just take, let's say, your outside eight rows, it's a lot. And the other thing is, it's the part that everybody sees. So if you want to impress your friends, your landlords, your spouse, whatever, they're only going to see the outside eight rows most of the year. So why not make those outside eight rows great? Make sure you have great fertility there and get the weeds under control. So once you stop those weeds there too, then they don't typically continue to spread across your field. That's usually what happens. So the other thing that I will tell you that we're doing is spraying insecticide on the field borders. We do this in ditches quite often too, because it's very common to find field problems starting on those field borders or starting in the ditches. Well, if you get out there in advance, I mean, there are grasshoppers right now that are hatching in our area. There are stock borers. There are cutworms. There are all kinds of insects that are sitting in the grass right now, and they're ready to move out and feed on our crop as it gets a little bit bigger. I don't want that. You don't want that. And it's unbelievably cheap to just spray some field borders. You're talking $2 an acre times a tiny little bit, a small percentage of your whole farm. So, Or you can wait and give that much more money to the chemical dealer when you have to spray the whole field later on. So all I'm trying to tell you is address those field borders. It's going to save you money long term, and you're going to make more money because you've probably got weed issues out there right now just like we do. And I can tell you if I wait two more weeks to spray those field borders, we are not going to have the same amount of yield that we will by spraying right now. All right, you want to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag? Let's hit, hit a question here. It's the mailbag! That was, First, a, that was a terrible transition, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. First one comes from Jared. He says, what role does organic matter play in water penetration? Isn't organic matter beneficial on the 40 CEC soils? I don't so, understand the question. So he's got a of really organic matter. He's got a really heavy clay, and he okay. needs better water penetration. And yeah. he's wondering: Is organic matter going to help yeah, that by building? Sure, that? it is. But the problem is, a lot of times, forty CEC tells us we might have high sodium, we might have high magnesium, and those things are not good for water penetration. So, yes, the organic matter side is good, but what percent of your soil is that? It's tiny. I mean, even if it's 6% organic matter, what does that mean? That's 94% non-organic matter. So we got to address the other things too. It's just like saying, yep, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to eat an entire chocolate cake, but I'm going to have a salad with it. Okay, so let's let's look at the entire problem. And if you've got a soil test you want us to take a look at, we're more than happy to do that. But drainage is critical, and we want to have good porosity. It's not just about throwing some tile out there. You want to have good porosity, so you need good calcium levels. Got to keep your sodium levels low. And, yeah, obviously we want great organic matter levels too. Darn, that chocolate cake was my plan for the weekend. Hey, it's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, 
fuel, they're able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the new spectrum of hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide. A new formulation makes it brutal on yellow foxtail, foxtail barley, and other tough grasses. Everest 3.0 gets the weeds you see and the ones you know are coming, with flush after flush control. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Wave after wave of grassy weed domination. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting live from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Media. Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty. Start off down in Missouri today. We've got Danny on the line with us. Danny, thanks for joining us. Thank you. How are you doing, Darren? You know, we're doing pretty well. We're doing pretty well here. We got a little bit of rain possibly coming. We got, by the end of the day, almost every acre of crop in the ground. It, it's a good spot to be in, I think. That's uh, about what we're at. We're about two days from having everything completed and wrapped up. Um, the only thing that was shocking to me, I called our local uh, butcher shop out in the country to get three steers processed and uh, they told me that they were backed up until next february was the earliest i could get any any steers in to get processed wow that's that's crazy i know the same kind of thing is happening here too that the the local butcher shops just have all they can handle right now and i don't know why that isn't making the national news i don't understand that either uh because I, I don't know if this is just going to be a fad and when, you know, the meat becomes more readily available in, in the stores. Um, I, I talked with uh, with a person. They said uh, the 90-10 blend was $2.99 a pound, but it was sold out at that store. But the 80-20 blend for hamburger at 8 or $9 a pound was available. So I don't know when more of it becomes available, if this is just a passing fad and everybody goes back to the store or if this is going to continue on where everybody likes to do the local meat thing. Hey, talk to us about this then from from a cattle producer standpoint. When you hear, 
you hear things like this. I mean, what do you do? What are some of the changes that have happened with your operation then? And and if you say, I've got to hold on to cattle that I was expecting to to leave the farm now, and they, they got to stick around till February, how, how do you do that? And how much does that cost? Well, that that's what we're trying to work out. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the 500-pound calves, uh, with those, we're selling those because of the uncertainty, but the heavier weights, the 8, 850 weights, uh, the steers, two options we've narrowed it down to. You can either go to a minimum maintenance, they don't want them to gain, which is completely opposite of what you breed your genetics for and doesn't make sense, or you go ahead and, and hopefully that things will get better here in, in 70, 80 days. Uh, but I, I, I'm starting to get a little bit gun shy about that. The heifers, uh, we changed our marketing plan with that. We're just going to turn a bull in with them. And that gives us, you know, we can sell them this fall for bred heifers or keep them back if the market comes back or things look differently. It, it buys us some time with the heifers. The the 850 weights is, is the problem. that That's the big question. We don't know what to do. Yeah, it's it's really tricky. I was just chatting with a couple guys uh, who have hog operations, and they were detailing some of the, the troubles there about what do we do when we just don't have this market out there, and the uncertainty is, is really tough, especially when you have a system that's in place, that's running very well, that's almost maxed out like the hog operation was, and they just can't have days off. They, they're really wondering what to do as well. Yes, and and this is the year I said uh, we planted. Oh, we reduced our corn acres, and I said this is the year I really didn't care to plant one acre of corn because you can buy corn cheaper than you can produce it unless we get going. And it just seems like everything's really. It's it's like grain markets; they're easier to fall and forever to build them back up. And it seems like our demand for everything. It seems like it's going to take two or three times, if not longer than that, to get back to our normal plateau we were back in January and February of this year. So talk to us about your crop in the field. You said you got just about everything in, just a couple of days away from done. What's your biggest corn look like out there right now? How tall is that? Oh, it's probably about five, six inches tall. Uh, it finally is hitting the nitrogen um, and, and turning from yellow to green. So it, it's looking really good. Uh, the beans, they're just barely starting to sprout through the ground. Um, we were exceptionally wet here in west central Missouri, but now we've missed a few rains. We did get a rain here today about three-tenths of an inch, but uh, the corn looks good so far. Excellent. Well, Danny, good luck to you. I, I know it's a tough time for... Uh for livestock producers and crop farmers as well, and you are both. So you're you're all in. Diversification normally is such a good thing, but unfortunately when none of the things we're diversifying in as farmers are working out the best, it's it's a tough time. So hopefully you get some certainty here real soon. And, and yeah, like you were saying, hopefully it gets better in 70 or 80 days, and that, that makes a lot of these problems go away. Well, thank you, Darren. I always appreciate listening to your program. You bet. Thanks a lot, Danny. Let's head over to Kansas right now. We've got Dan with us. Dan, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Hey, I have lots of sorghum questions for you because we just got some sorghum in this week, so hopefully conditions start warming up and then things might turn out okay. Isn't that kind of one of the keys? We don't want to have it turn cold on us? Well, yeah, and, and sorghum, you know, just like corn is a tropical crop, you want, you know, you want good uh, soil 
soil temperature when you plant that stuff. So, you know, 65 and above, let's roll it in there. Excellent. Well, then we're off on the, the right start on our farm anyway. How about on your farm? How are the crops looking? Um, it's so far, so good. Um, you know, kind of kind of being meager on the moisture. Uh, today we, we did receive a, a, an inch of pretty much saving moisture. Uh, the winter wheat was looking pretty pretty poor at that point, so um, we needed some, some moisture. We do have our corn in the ground um, and looking to plant some sorghum in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so talk to us about that winter wheat. You said it was looking looking pretty tough, uh, drought-stressed. At that point, are insects a worse issue for you? I'm, I'm imagining disease wasn't so bad if, if it's been drier. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely been drought stress. Um, insects have not been an issue. Uh, disease, so far, we've been dry enough that, you know, as far as stripe rust or rust issues have not been an issue. Um, maybe with the moisture we've received uh, from now on until harvest, uh, we need to look at some of the disease issues. But So we're, we're just looking at right now, we've got some moisture. Maybe we can fill some, some, some bushels. Talk to me about your corn a little bit, Dan. When you're that dry and trying to plant, I know we had some soils, especially for us on some of the hilltops, that it was it was just powder dry several inches into the ground, and it was tough to, to get corn down into moisture. Were you able to get corn into moisture, and did you have any issues with some of those excessively dry soils planting? Uh, not really. Um, the corn went into primarily grain sorghum stalks, um, so milo stalks, or stripper wheat stubble. And so we, we had, even though it's, it's been extremely dry, um, we had moisture two inches deep that we could plant into. And that's been the saving grace of the no-till uh, rotation, is that we've got you know moisture two, two and a half inches deep that we could plant into, and then and then Got a little bit of rain today and, and set all of our nitrogen that we put on with the planter and kind of set some seed in. So it's, uh, uh, we're in a great situation. Talk to us about the sorghum outlook. I know you said you got some sorghum going in here in a couple of weeks. Are you up in acres on sorghum? And, and what are you seeing across the country? What's the forecast? Uh, we're we're going to plant a few more acres of a sorghum than we would normally um, just do a rotation. Uh, I think that's that's fortuitous uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, China's been in the market dragging those bushels down through uh, our, our southern ports. Uh, it currently, uh, here in Kansas, uh, grain sorghum is, is about 50 cents positive to corn. Um, so obviously the export markets are dragging, dragging grain to the south, dragging, putting that to the ports. So... Um, normally we plant primarily grain sorghum anyhow, um, and so it, we haven't really moved our acres around. We're, we're planting the same amount of dryland corn as we would normally, um, but uh, we, we might plant, we're probably going to plant a few more acres of dryland uh, grain sorghum just because the markets are, are looking really positive. At this yeah, point. that's that's awesome. In 2020, any market that looks good, we'll be really excited about that. Uh, talking with Dan down in Kansas. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Good luck here as you wrap up planting. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. 
How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Before we planted early February, we have all good emergence. So far, we can't find any condition that the wheels haven't worked. I can just say that. Closing the seed trench behind the planter is essential to establishing yields in the fall. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer who is tired of seeing poor stands because of uneven emergence, the Germinator is here to give your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. For more information, visit us at farmshopmfg.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation. How you make out for the season or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday, and we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us here in the Morton studio, radio at agphd.com. Let's head out to Montana. We've got Mitch with us right now. Uh, Mitch, how are you doing today? Good, guys. So what's happening on your farm, Mitch? Oh, just... uh Got pretty well caught up. Uh, we've been uh, all receiving some grass seed right now, but um, getting ready to spray spring crop. And uh, we went over summer follow here about a week ago. So um, I think it's looking pretty good. We could use a little shot of rain. It'd be nice. But 
Yeah, that's not not uncommon, Brent. It was just uh, I don't even want to tell you what he was talking about over the break because he's always he's always looking at weather stuff too, and he was comparing moisture that we've had so far to various years. Does it? It's a pretty dry year for you out there. What are, are crops looking okay still? Well, we've been we've been so wet uh, in the last about two or three years, um, just way too wet. So um, we still got really good sub moisture, but we're we're a little bit dry, I'd say. You know, it'd be nice to have a an inch or two here in the next couple of weeks for sure. Uh, um, but um, th- things are looking good. I mean, we look we look good, so um, we're we're happy with that. And um, so good good growing growing conditions today and. Uh, supposed to get cool and rainy tomorrow so we'll welcome that sure sure now you said you had some spraying to do are you waiting till after the rain to do that or are you going to try and get some done yet today no we're going to wait till uh, after the rain comes and i'm i'm almost i'm always ahead of the game it seems like so i get i usually spray a little too early it seems like so i'm trying to trying to calm myself down and um you know wait for the weeds to get up a little better and that and that barley so i can get a good kill on them see that's where you need a brother that just disagrees with almost everything you do seemingly he'll kind of slow you <laughs> down a little bit i can lend you one if you want no i got i got a wife that's wouldn't work working on me with that so, uh, <laughs> it's been good it's been really good though because uh, um in the past i've always been too early on a lot of stuff and um it really helps to have somebody sitting there thinking ah maybe you should wait you know so it it's a good, uh, it's a good complimentary relationship there. Absolutely. Well, and it's always good if someone's trying to slow you down a little bit rather than to speed you up. It's, it's a whole different fight <laughs> there. No doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, uh, when you get out there spraying, what are you doing? Are you doing some herbicide now? You got some weeds coming or is this a, a disease application? What do you, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, weed control mainly. Um, you know, where I'm at, we don't get a lot of rain and stuff like that. We don't have a lot of disease pressure as far as fungicides. Um, um, I kind of only apply it when I have to because it's wasted money a lot of the time, in my opinion, uh, in this neck of the woods. Um, so we're just kind of sitting there waiting for this. Uh, we've got a lot of kochia in areas. And I'm waiting for that to get out of that button stage so I can, you know, get it, get it pretty good. Yeah, the kochia is one that I know for our viewers, especially as we go south and east, they they kind of give us a hard time. Oh man, you guys are always complaining about kochia, but I I tell them don't don't uh, poke the bear here. If this kochia moves down in your area, you're going to regret it. Talk, talk to us about how tough that one is to get. Well, it, you know when it's little, tiny like that, it just it, just about ain't, nothing will kill it. You know, throw some sharpen in there. I guess works pretty well on it, but then it kind of limits you on. Uh, um, some rotational stuff, but, um, you know, in, in the summer follow method, I'd say, but, um, in crop, you just gotta, you just gotta let it get to a certain size and hit it. And, um, you know, in the summer follow situation, you just don't want to keep pouring around upon it all the time. Cause there's a lot of resistant, um, ground resistant kosher popping up in, in all the areas. And, and for that matter, uh, Banville too, if you don't, um, you don't screw around with that stuff. So we're trying to, trying to be responsible and you know and, and get it right the first time absolutely and we're talking to mitch out in montana mitch uh, hopefully that rain is is really good for you guys hope you catch a nice shot and good luck here with the rest of the spring all right yeah you too thanks thanks let's head over to illinois right now we've got john on with us john how are you today hey doing doing all right doing all right we're holding our own 
Yeah. Now, how are you guys doing? Have you guys had way too much rain where you're at? Yeah. Well, right now I'm kind of towards the, see the light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, they're calling for five more days of rain and I'm in a field right now and I'm planning and we're doing okay. I wouldn't want to be here. I really like one more day, but we're supposed to get another half inch tomorrow and every other day after that, supposed to get another couple of tents. So we're already pretty well saturated here in this part of the world. So I, I'm taking the opportunity just to, this late in the year, let's get it planted. It doesn't grow in the bag. So yeah, yeah, that's for sure. For All right, so uh, I understand you might have talked nitrogen a little bit, and absolutely on a wet year, that changes considerations just a little bit about even being able to get out into the field. But uh, what are you thinking there with nitrogen? Well, this is the situation that I've got on my winter wheat, okay? Um I have very, very light, sandy soil. Uh, my cation exchange capacity is around 8 to 10. And we threw our yield goal here, soft red winter wheat. We'd like to shoot for 100. You know, many years we don't get close to it, but that's our goal. And we've looks like to me we've had some leaching with, you know, we've had about 7 inches of rain in the last two weeks. And... We're not, I think we got at least two more weeks till we've got a head on it. I just sent out for some tissue sampling a couple days ago. Of course, I haven't gotten the results yet. So my, my question to you is I've got 90 units or 90 pounds equivalency of N on there right now. It was soybeans last year. Is it still worth if I get the tissue sampling on there? And let's say I'm, I'm short 40 40 units in on there because you could see there's spots where the greenness isn't there. You've got the yellow coming in on some of the spots, which to me, you know, without having the results of the tissue test, you know, it just looks to me like a nitrogen deficiency, uh, especially on the sand. But do you think it's worth if I get this thing back and we've got another week or two, is it worth throwing another 40 on? It probably is, John. And here's the thing. We were just talking about this, I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, because we had a similar question come in. And my concern with just using tissue analysis for this is tissue analysis is not predictive. It simply tells you how were you doing that day. We really encourage mm-hmm. people to take some soil tests so you can find out, okay, what's actually in the soil now? And also, what do you have for soil organic matter that could come available and help you out a little bit? But if you've only put on 90 pounds, and it, granted, it's coming out of soybeans, and there might have been 10, 20, 30 pounds left from last year. We don't know. Uh, I mean, that's not even going to come close for your 100 bushel goal. Now, I'm sure you probably have pockets in there that are better, worse, like that kind of thing. But in terms of putting more nitrogen on, if you're two weeks away from heading, yeah, you absolutely have time. There are some people that will put some nitrogen on super late right at heading to improve protein levels. But what you're staring at right now is, hey, you've got an opportunity here to increase yield yet, not just protein, but increase yield by getting some nitrogen on right now. So if it was me, yeah, I would probably do something. Yeah, it's the I did do some soil testing last year on it. We're about two and a half, two to two and a half percent organic matter on sure. it, you know, so that yep. we got some freebie stuff there. But, yeah, I kind of figured yeah I, yeah, I kind of figured it was relatively low when you said sand and eight to ten CEC. So anyway, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So anyway, but but it's just very unusual because you know a lot of years people are, are begging their insurance agent telling them to terminate their wheat, you know, begging to put corn in. Now this year everybody yep. seems to be 
wanting to put up a watchtower to be sure that nobody <laughs> goes ahead and does anything to their wheat this year. So yep, I hear you. Now, the only thing. Now, one, one other thing that I will throw out at you is sulfur. So we do a lot of stream barring in our wheat, and when we're putting nitrogen out, we'll put a little bit of sulfur with it as well. So just something for you to consider because sulfur yes, is we, also we, leachable. We, yep, we, I had I had some sulfur, some elementals, some AMS was in the tank mix when we sure. – well, we threw it on, okay. you know, I, I threw some humic in there too. And yep. Okay. it was, it was, it's a nice stand, but yeah, I just hate to see it go. Right. So, yep. But, uh, I hear you. So, All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. You may have noticed it's all been calls so far from farmers around the country. And that's great. That's exactly what we'd like to hear from you. We've gotten a bunch of emails in as well. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. 
Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us like Nathan from Minnesota did. He said, hey guys, I'm not used to dealing with wheat over here in Minnesota a whole lot, but we got some wheat and I'm battling woolly cupgrass in a field of spring wheat. I'm wondering if there are any products you'd recommend for post-emerge control. Well, first of all, I would just say woolly cup grass comes up just a little bit later than many other grasses. So we used to fight that all the time in corn, but we ever since Roundup corn came out, and for that matter, even Liberty Link corn, that pretty much ended that because both of those are both those products are outstanding on woolly cup grass. But anyway, the the whole thing is typically when you have a good wheat stand chokes out the woolly cup. So I usually don't get too worried about it. In fact, I think this is, Darren and I were talking about this at the break. This may be the first question I've ever had on woolly cup grass in wheat. So I will just say, yeah, there's only one product that's technically labeled. That's Puma, which are the old, uh, the, the old Puma. So Parity now would be a generic version of that. But almost any grass killer in wheat is going to suppress woolly cup grass. So the wheat can get ahead of it. But generally speaking, like I say, number one, we don't have a problem. Number two, if you need it, uh, Parity is the only product that's labeled. But if you're just running a normal program with a grass and broadleaf killer, you're probably going to suppress it enough that it isn't going to hurt your yield a whole lot. I mean, unless it's super thick. Okay. Thanks for that question. We appreciate that. Uh, This one comes from Doug. He said, I've been trying to re-evaluate our tillage and cover crop usage on our farm in Ohio. And I know that a roller basket harrow is used to smooth out the ground and cut and mix residue typically behind a tillage implement. A roller crimper is used to smooth out the ground and cut snap cover cover crop stems. I'm wondering uh, which one of those you like. Basically, it's an open drum versus a closed drum. So an open basket versus a closed basket on the back end. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I could make arguments either way. I think, I, 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 I don't know if I if I have a great answer for this, Darren. Yeah, do I don't. You? I don't know that I do either. You know, one of the things that we see on the open basket is sometimes you get plugging, and if you're you're having issues plugging things up. Uh, then it ends up being like a plow back there, and you don't necessarily want that. But I have seen a lot more open baskets out there than the closed ones, and there are some different bar designs on those open baskets that are working a little bit better. I know um, we just got a, a different tillage tool from Case IH that had a, a kind of at an angle. Those bars ran a little bit at an angle instead of absolutely straight across, and that seemed to work just a little bit better and let things flow through, but... And there's so many different designs out there. I don't doubt that you could get either of those to work. Yeah, you know, if I start thinking about any kind of solid basket, though, I just what I fear is that we're going to smash big stuff down into the ground. And then what happens to us, and so I don't know if you have to deal with these conditions a lot, but when we plant, everything is damp. So, I mean, when we're planting, it's typically 35, 45 degrees, something like that. It's cold. It's 
I mean, the sun might be out. Hopefully the sun is out. But, you know, we've got a week basically with no sun here, for example. And it, it's just, it's tough conditions. And so my point is when you've got high humidity, we're in one of the highest humidity areas in the United States in South Dakota, in eastern South Dakota, I should say. And then we're cold. You add those two things together, we can't cut through residue very well. So our problem with having residue out there is we end up hairpinning it. And that's what I worry about. So like for me, I don't like cover crops sitting out there in the spring. I don't like corn stalks yet standing tall in the spring. I want stuff somehow in small pieces because I just know darn well that we can't cut through it very well when we're out there planting. So that's my my biggest issue with residue. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that one. Uh, Got one that came in about Roundup here. And then I just closed it out. Uh, This one's from Jeff in Michigan. Jeff says, we've got some weeds on the field borders, as you're speaking about on your radio show. Yeah. We did the three pre-program, but we'd like to use glyphosate in some spots that are greening up and spots that the tillage did not completely resolve. I've got soybeans just poking through, though. So I'm wondering how early is too early? Uh, It's mostly grasses that are out there, so Roundup will clearly wipe them out. Should I let the beans get a little size to them before I spray them? No, I wouldn't. I, I would just go hit it. So this is exactly what I was talking about in the first segment of our show today, that I I got this tip from some really, really great farmers from years ago, and then we started doing this on our farm, and we found that our outside rows started yielding really well when we did this. Here's the problem on those field borders. You you said the three pre's, so included in that was hopefully one of the yellows or or group 15. Either way, you're going to kill a lot of foxtails you're not going to kill a lot of perennial grasses. And my guess is you're dealing with some perennial grasses on the edge. That's typically what we face. We have the brome creeping in. Sometimes we even get some quack grass or something like that. But those are some tough perennials. So, you know, normally we'll run with a very low rate of Roundup, but on the field borders, we typically run with a little higher rate. We might run quart, quart and a half, whatever it is. Uh, So, I mean, obviously we can't exceed the labeled rate of 44 ounces once the crop is up but i'm just saying if you've got some perennials there you got to go more with more than the it only take you probably 16 ounces of roundup and you do a great job on an annual grass but the perennial grass is a little bit tougher anyway um, you have no issue there is no issue spraying just emerged soybeans with Roundup. It is not going to hurt them i would just as soon get it done if it was me and hit those field borders Again, you don't necessarily have to do even a full sprayer width. Chances are it's just the outside few rows where you've got this problem. So I'd take care of it right now. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow you more time to get the whole field sprayed. That's what we've always seen. So we go out there, make this first little pass. And I mean, like in one day, we can get around all our fields, it seems like. And that job is done. And then we're not rushing later on because we go, oh, man, on the borders, my weeds are getting so big and I got to get out there. We don't have to worry about that anymore because the rest of the field, hopefully, is going to be pretty clean for you. All right. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, This one comes from Simon. He said, I was listening to a podcast where a farmer was talking about using regenerative practices to completely cut out the use of seed treatments, insecticides, herbicides, and synthetic fertilizers. There's no mention of natural fertilizers, but they say they're only doing four passes over the field, cover crop, planting, crimper, harvest. 
and occasionally they're using some high-intensity grazing, all while using non-GMO crops and transitioning to an all-organic system. I'm wondering, is this even possible long-term? Is this realistic? I find it hard to believe cover crops, mineralization, and occasional grazing can substitute the need for additional fertilizer to cover nutrient removal alone. Yep, I feel the exact same way. I mean, let's, let's never forget, that was our system 50, 80, 100 years ago. That was our system. And we, we've done so much better with a conventional system today. Now, I'm not going to fault anybody who wants to try, quite frankly, anything. I got an 18-year-old son, by the way, and every day he's coming to me with some other idea where I'm like, oh, my gosh, this seems this is the craziest thing. But I hate to b- discourage him too much. I'm like, yeah, you, you go ahead. You're, you're 18 now. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. Yep, the, if you think that's a great idea, you go try that. And that's kind of the same thing that I say to almost any farmer out there where they have some idea that, oh, I can run this system and this is going to work great and everything. Go for it. Just don't do it on all your acres. When you do it on all your acres, that's how people go bankrupt. So try it on a small scale. If let's say you farm 2,000 acres, try it on 40 acres or 80 acres or something like that and just see if you can make it work. If you can, awesome. Then do eventually you can make the whole farm that way. I, do I think it's going to work? Not a chance. You know, in a lot of these situations, though, too, when when people are going to make a big jump, and maybe it's to non-GMO crops, maybe it's to move away from fertilizer and those kinds of things, we see people building up soils in anticipation of that. And even even some of the real successful no-till guys, I'm not trying to badmouth no-till, so please don't don't think that I'm doing that. But if you've got a deep compaction issue, I've I've seen some guys even in our own state that have done deep tillage and they've done no-till for many, many years after that, once they fix that compaction problem. So a lot of different ways to do things. And yeah, I, I guess like anything else, I would say start small and, and be successful with that and then, then work your way up. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. 
As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit headsupst.com. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump, providing the ultimate protection. This wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Wheat growers know Everest 3.0 herbicide for its relentless, flush-after-flush control of hard-to-kill grasses like wild oat. But they may not know that for a limited time, they can earn up to $5 an acre when they buy Everest 3.0 and at least one or more other qualifying UPL products, like long-lasting Evito fungicide. That's right, a $5 per acre cash rebate with a 320-acre minimum purchase. Ask your retailer for details or visit uplnorthernrewards.com. But hurry, this offer ends August 31st. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Morton Studio here on Farmer Friday, and we're taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Dan did. Uh, he is, well, he's got, a, he's got an interesting issue here, Brian. He said, all right, we're re- we were recently approached to tend a 25 to 30 acre field that is surrounding a gun club where they shoot skeet on a daily basis. The club has been shooting for some time and has built up a high concentration of lead in the soil in various areas. I have read various thoughts on effects of lead in soybeans as well as the possibility of lead contaminating the seed itself. Is it safe for us to tend this field? Will the high concentration of lead affect our crop production? And should we tend this field or just pass on the offer? I seriously doubt there's going to be a problem. Now, if you look at EPA data, it will tell... So this is one of the things I've, I've had in our at our soils clinics, I don't know, probably the last three years or so, because we occasionally get, will get some questions on heavy metals. And let me just read you a quick list of some of the heavy metals out there, like arsenic, cadmium, chromium, copper, lead, mercury, molybdenum, nickel, selenium, and zinc. By the way, I stopped on a couple of those because you, you may not think of zinc and copper and molybdenum as heavy metals, but they are considered heavy metals. So there is actually a limit on how much you can put out there in a year, and there is a total limit on what there can be in the soil in order to raise crops safely. So with lead, for example, you can apply 13 pounds per year, And you can have a grand total of 267 pounds in the soil when your cation exchange capacity is above 5. When it's below 5, you can only have 133 pounds of lead in the soil. So anyway, if you want more of those figures, um, uh, what was his name that asked the question? Sorry. Dan. Dan. uh, You can just send us an email and I I can give you some more details on that. But anyway, that's for... Soil pH 6.5 and above, I don't, I don't have right in front of me what it is for less than 6.5 pH. But anyway, I'm not that concerned about the lead being exceptionally high. But there might be a spot or two where you say, man, it looks like there's a, a, a big issue right here. 
for that little bit, scrape it off and spread it across the rest of the field or scrape it off and properly dispose of it and then you're in pretty good shape. But anyway, yeah, this heavy metal thing where it caught me, just for example, and I mentioned molybdenum was one of these. So a few years ago, we started running some molybdenum tests because we we had always been told, well, when your pH is high, like we have, uh, it, uh, everything we've got for the most part is above six or above six and a half. Molybdenum level should be fine. You shouldn't need to add it. Well, we started testing and we realized we don't have any and we'd like to be at one part per million. So, of course, as you, if you listen to the show at all, you will know <laughs> I'm a big believer in, hey, if a little is, is good, let's get a lot out there. Or if we need to hit a certain level, let's do it all in one shot rather than, you know, over a period of years. So I thought, okay, if we need to get to one part per million, that's two pounds. So let's just put two pounds of molybdenum out there. And anyway, I looked at the heavy metal chart. And I realized, uh-oh, legally, we can't even put more than 0.8 pounds out there. That's all we are legally allowed to apply per year by the EPA. And, I mean, I had no clue. It never, it never even dawned on me that the EPA would be regulating molybdenum, but they do. Yep, you just don't know those things unless you check it out. And and if you ask those questions, I'm glad that question came in, Dan, because you're well, right, there's gun clubs all over the place. And <laughs> yeah, there probably, probably is a little more lead out there. You know, as Darren had told me during the break, he was going to ask this question. So I had I got to pull my stuff up. But it's, it's one of the things, as time goes on, so Darren and I have been doing the Ag PhD TV show for over 22 years now. I've been doing the radio show here live on Sirius XM every day for uh, six years now. But anyway, we've we've done agronomy training, and we have been agronomists for, I, I have been now for 30 years, and it's all about being organized. So I can, I, I know exactly where I've got all my stuff, and I have everything from Outlook organized, Dropbox, folders. I've got all pictures, all notes from the past. Everything is organized. So you can ask me almost any question. I'll go, ooh, back, you know. I think we did something on that 10, 15 years ago. I can usually pull it up in my notes in just a minute or two. And man, that is helpful. So I, I guess that's one of the things, especially if you're a young farmer, I would just encourage you. Yes, there is a lot to learn. You're going to learn a lot in your life. But take good notes, say, scan and save the notes and and get yourself organized. Because it's not about how much you can remember. I can't remember everything. But if I just know where to look that up, just like this heavy metals thing, I knew that the odds were pretty high lead was on that list. You know, you would assume heavy metals, okay, lead's got to be on there. So I just pulled up my heavy metal information, and sure enough, it's on there. I already have the information. I just needed to access it so then I could give it to you. All right, let's jump into the next question. This one comes from Matthew, who said, I've got an alfalfa stand that we're trying to establish. The alfalfa was spread via an airflow machine onto a field that was previously rye which was worked up, but it hadn't been sprayed. Now the alfalfa is starting to come up, and of course some of the rye is coming back and getting pretty tall and thick in spots. My question is, what should be our next step? Should we be looking at an aerial application of something like Post Plus? Yes. If it were Roundup Ready Alfalfa, I know you could go in with the Roundup, but yes. just wondering what you would do. Either one. you got to do one or the other. you got to get that grass under control. And by the way, the rye isn't going to die it's easily. It's not Roundup Ready. So he said, if it were, we oh, could do yeah, Roundup. Yeah. But he said, do, gotcha. you like, do you like Pulse Plus better? Do you like Select Max? Is there any volunteer grass? Whatever. Killer like? I don't care. Uh, Select Max is really, really good. So that's Clethodim. And 
yeah, I, I mean, we used to use a lot of Pulse Plus. It was fine. Just to understand all those grass killers are slow too. So it's uh, when you go out and spray like 2,4-D, for example, in your lawn or in a field, I mean, you see the weeds dying the next day. You see them curled over. You're not going to see that with all, any of these grass killers. So it's going to take some time for that for that grass to look dead, but it will be dead. Don't get too worried about it, but make sure you're using the highest labeled rate. It's going to take that to get rid of that rye. Right, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Matthew. I uh, went from Dave in Minnesota. He said, guys, I made the switch this spring to conventional corn. It's my first time not having a BT trait in many years. I know there's still some corn borers out there. Honestly, haven't scouted for them since the 1990s. So need a little refresher here. What should I be watching for in my field? And when should I be out there looking for corn borers? Okay, so first of all, here's some good news for you. You don't have to scout your corn for corn borers until that corn is at least knee high. Now, I want you to scout your corn for everything else, but you don't have to worry about corn borers for a while yet in the northern part of the United States. And the reason why is because in corn plants, when they are less than knee high, they produce a fairly good level of a natural toxin, and for short, it's called DIMBOA. Quite frankly, I don't even remember what the DIMBOA even stands for, but D-I-M-B-O-A, and that will kill most corn borers, or at least repel them early on. Okay, once you get past that point, then you need to be scouting at least every week. And what I would suggest is, did you say Minnesota? I thought you said Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. I, I believe in Minnesota, if you if you look at your extension services website, they typically have ha- have done moth counts in the past. And so if you if you follow their moth counts, you'll see when you should probably ramp up your scouting. Once a week, you know, from knee high on is fine. But if the moth counts start to explode at some point, then you need to be out there every couple of days. And what you're going to be looking for with corn borer is egg masses. And it's slow. It's a little painful. I used to do this years ago, too. Uh, And you have to look on the underside of the leaves. I know it sounds weird, but that's where the moths will lay their eggs is on the underside of leaves. Now, those egg masses are going to start out as white. When you see the heads... Uh, starting to form in there, there'll, it'll be little black spots in these egg masses. That's the time to start spraying. You've got to catch those little larvae when they are hatching from that time until they want to bore down into that stalk, which is usually three to five days later. doesn't take a lot of time. It all depends on heat. The cooler it is, the more time you've got. We used to, years ago, have great success with the dry products. Dry furidan or dry pounce granules, those were great because when you get them in the whirl of the corn, they keep rolling down as the corn grows because think about how fast your corn grows from knee high to shoulder high, for example. And with liquids, all you're going to protect is what you treat. So literally every day your insecticide is getting farther out from the whirl. And that's why I say you've got to catch these larvae when they're really little. They're easier to control and uh, uh, then they haven't bored into the stock yet. So yeah, I'd be looking for egg masses. Then you can certainly look for shot holes. If it was me, I'd use something like Brigade or Capture. That would be much better than the, than the cheap pyrethroids like Lambda. Thanks for the question, Dave. Really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.